welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me over to John chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 to 15 today as we continue on in our Gospel of John series. We're looking at the wonderful miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 today and all of the lessons that God has to teach us within it. So John 6, 1 to 15, it says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even just have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over, by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The miracle of the feeding of 5,000 is of such great magnitude that it is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and Luke 9, and then here in John. And I've always loved this miracle and been drawn to its message. I think first because of my father. My dad worked his whole life with Compassion International, and he would travel all around the world into these third world countries where where there was great need and poverty. And so I grew up knowing that many people around the world were hungry. And so I think even as a child, this story always spoke to me that Jesus seeing the hungry would have compassion on them. I loved that. But I think also I have loved this story because it inspires me to serve and to give what little I have to Jesus. For it is a boy who comes forward and brings his offering to the Lord of two fish and five loaves. And this is what Jesus uses to feed the whole crowd. This has always inspired me to give what I have, even if it doesn't seem like it's enough. In the hands of Jesus, it's always enough. He can turn it into something more, something special and so much bigger than we are. This boy gave only what he had, but he gave all that he had. And the Lord took it and gave thanks and multiplied it to feed everybody. In some way, I feel that is how the Lord uses any of us. When I look around at the world today and I see all the problems or the needs or even just look at the things in my own life, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the magnitude before us. 
What can one person do? How can I even begin to make a difference? Where do you even start? Well, well, this is what the disciples are faced with, a need that is far bigger than them or their resource. Jesus asked them to feed the crowd, and they don't have enough food or, or money to do it. But I, I think we learn in this story, just as I have learned in my life, that all Jesus ever asks for is what we already have never what we don't have. We're just simply to bring to Jesus what little we have, to live with, with hands and hearts wide open to Him every day, and in faith that He will always make it more than enough. This is why I've always loved this miracle. A boy's lunch by itself is, is nothing, but given to Jesus, it feeds 5,000. What you have, what I have, by itself might not look like very much, but put into the hands of Christ, God does a miracle. I was born in Chicago and then grew up in Colorado, came back to Chicago for college and seminary. And in the heart of Chicago is a school that my grandparents went to way back in the day. It's still there, Moody Bible Institute. It has made a big impact on my grandparents and their life and ministry. It's named after Dwight Moody, who was a preacher in the 1800s who led giant revivals and saw so many people come to faith. His story is outstanding. His dad died when he was only four. His mom left to raise nine kids on her own. All the children had to go to work and not to school, so Dwight Moody didn't have an education. They lived on porridge and cornmeal as a family. He went to church, and, and that is where Dwight learned about the love of God from his Sunday school teacher. And it moved him so, he gave his life to the Lord. And as he grew up, he learned more and more from God's Word, and he just felt called to be an evangelist. But unlike most preachers at that time, at that time, Dwight didn't have an education, not a diploma, let alone a degree, but he had the Holy Spirit, and he had the Word of God, and he read it every day, and he learned, and he felt the call of God on his life, and it was powerful. One of his most quoted lines is that the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. He didn't have money, didn't have an education, but what he had, he gave to Jesus, his all. And the Lord did miracle after miracle in that man's life. He led thousands to Christ. What could God do with any of our lives if we gave him everything? What could God do if you loved him truly with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? The feeding of the 5,000 is one of those miracles that just really speaks to me in many ways, and it inspires me to give everything to Jesus, to just be open, to just have faith and to trust and obey God and look more to him than the massive task in front of us. Just give what you have to Jesus and he will do the rest. He will multiply it to more than enough, more than you would ever think possible. So I want to walk us through some of the lessons of this powerful story today. The first lesson I think we need to see is the timing of this miracle, the context. John 6.1 only says, sometime later, Jesus and his disciples went across the lake. John doesn't tell us the timing, but we find that in the other Gospels. 
And let me just say this as an aside, is that I encourage you all, when you're reading your Bible, to get one of the Bibles with cross-references in it. What, what that means is a Bible that tells you that this story is also found in Matthew 14 and Mark 6. Cross-references are helpful because all four of the Gospels tell this same story, but each one adds maybe another little detail or fact that is helping us to understand what the big picture is going on here. So, for example, in our story for today, John doesn't tell us everything. We find it in Mark 6, where we learn that this miracle happens just after Jesus' disciples come back from their first missionary journey, where they went out two by two. Jesus had sent them out for the first time to preach and do ministry without him. And so at the start of our story, they've just returned, and they're finding Jesus there healing and preaching on the hillside. They come back to him, reporting all that they had seen and done while they were away. And you could just hear in their voice that they're all tired. You know, maybe they had been gone for a week or more, who knows. Maybe they're exhausted, maybe a little discouraged. Things didn't turn out exactly like they wanted to, I don't know. But it says in Mark 6 that they hadn't even had a chance to eat yet. So Jesus says to them in Mark 6.31, come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they all get into the boat and they go across the lake hoping for a chance to get away from it all, to have some downtime, to rest, to fill up again. They cross the lake only to find that all the needy people followed them there. They can't get away. Have you ever seen the movie What About Bob? I love that movie with Bill Murray. He is a patient there uh, with lots of problems, and his psychiatrist, played by Richard Dreyfus, is trying to get away on a vacation with his family. But Bill Murray always keeps showing up, following him around uh, to every vacation. You know, when he goes to the vacation home, showing up there, knocking at the door with all of his problems, needing his counselor, and he appears there at the lake while Richard Dreyfus is trying to fish or have dinner with his family. The, the doctor can't get away, and it eventually drives him nuts. Well, this is kind of the scene. Jesus and his disciples landed on the other side of the lake. They're trying to get some rest. They're trying to get away from it all, only to find the large crowd followed them. This is the context of the miracle of the feeding of 5,000. And I think this is important to better understanding the story because it's not just that lots of people were hungry, but it's that his disciples were too. And they're tired of helping they are spent. They're out of compassion. They got nothing left at this point. They haven't even eaten themselves. This is when Jesus says, where can we find some bread for them? And it appears that they're in a place where there's no food around, no town. Quite possibly, you know, the disciples are hangry. You know, like what I get when I'm overtired and hungry, I can become quite a grouch. It's, it's one thing to care for people, you know, when your cup is full and you're feeling good about it and you're rested and you choose to do it, but it's a different thing when the call of God comes at the end of the day when you're tired and you just want to go home, or you need some time for yourself, or you got problems of your own, and the Lord says, I'd like you to feed that person. This is part of the context, you see. They got nothing left in the tank. But the other part of the context that's so important, I think, is found in John 6, 4, where it tells us that the Passover feast was near. John adds this detail for a reason. They are in Passover season. Every year, the people of God celebrated Passover. 
And at Passover, they remember back to when God sent Moses to deliver them out of slavery and out of Egypt and out of bondage, and how God led them. Where did he lead them? Into the wilderness where there's nothing. And he provided for them each day there in the desert, daily bread. In the desert, there was no food to be found. And so God miraculously provided for them manna from heaven to eat and water to drink, and he took care of them. When they had nothing, he had everything. When they had nothing, he had everything. So this is the context. You have a bunch of weary and worn and hungry disciples. You got a large crowd of hungry and needy people with no shepherd and Passover's on their mind. I think Jesus knew what he was doing. He took them to a place that there would be no answer but him. Just like when God took the Israelites into the wilderness, their only answer is for God to show up. Jesus will give them daily bread just as God gave them manna. The second thing, though, I want to see in this story is very important for me, as I have said, and it's, it's not here in John, but it's in every other gospel account about it. It's that Jesus looked out at the crowd, and it says that he had compassion on them. It says in Matthew that upon landing and seeing the crowd, Jesus had compassion on them and started healing their sick. In Mark, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And Luke, it says, he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. He welcomed them. He didn't turn away from them. He embraced them. Jesus is the good Samaritan here. This is compassion. It is caring for others. It is empathy. It's willing to change your plans for the day for someone else. Compassion. That's the very important word for a Christian, one that I pray that we would have and that we would never lose in our heart, compassion, generosity, and awareness and concern for others. Jesus had it. He had to be tired himself. He had to be hungry, but Jesus always seems to put the needs of others ahead of his own, and so he gives, and he tells his disciples to give, even if they are tired, even if they are hungry themselves, and we will see in this story, it's in giving that they actually will receive, for after serving, they collect 12 baskets of leftovers, each one left with one for themselves. When you put the needs of others ahead of your own, the Lord will always take care of you. Compassion. I think it begins with really seeing more than a crowd, more than a task, more than another problem to be fixed, but people, seeing people. When I was living in Chicago, I'd often come downstairs out of my apartment onto Foster Avenue and I would see the same homeless guy in our dumpster in the alley. It was always about the same time that I would leave for the day and he would always be there. And in Chicago, you see lots of homeless and you always... Uh, you know, see them around that in, in a way you stop even noticing, you know, you stop seeing them really, you just kind of ignore them. Well, one day I felt God was asking me to really look at this man, to see more than a homeless guy, but that that's somebody's child at one time, and that is someone that Jesus died for. And whether they screwed up their life or they fell into hard times or whatever, would I look at them? Would I acknowledge them? Would I love them? I think this story is telling us, like those disciples, if we're going to walk with Jesus, 
Get ready to be interrupted in your plans. Get ready to see people in your life that you're not used to looking at. Get ready to care. Get ready to put others ahead of yourself. Because if you're going to truly follow Jesus, be ready because you're going to have to have compassion. Because Christ is going to continually stop for the needy that you meet along the way. Through the Holy Spirit, you will feel God's love for them. You will want to show grace and mercy and forgiveness that has been shown to you. You will want to serve God by serving them. You will start to feel that love for them in your heart. John wrote uh, also 1 John, and listen to how he explains compassion in 1 John 3, 16 to 18. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone has material possessions and sees their brother or sister in need, but has no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. He says that real love is laying down your life. Love is compassion for those in need. If you have something you could give or something you could do but don't, John's saying, how can the love of God really be in you? For the love of God will always be moving his children to action. So be ready each day to be interrupted in your schedule because Jesus loves the people that you pass by. I wonder what would happen, and I really challenge you, I wonder what would happen if we did an experiment for the next 30 days, that we would pray every morning that we would notice the people in our life that we pass by. Pray that you would see them and pray that God would show you what to do for them. Maybe you begin to notice a coworker that you haven't before who just needs to talk and you need to listen, even though you're busy. Maybe you begin to notice another student at school and they don't have a partner in class and so you choose to be theirs. Or they're always made fun of and you decide to sit with them. Maybe it is a person or a family who is going through grief right now or struggles and you just make a meal and you drop it off. Or they need help with something and you give what you can what the Lord lays on your heart to do. I wonder what would happen if we did an experiment for the next 30 days and prayed for greater compassion and acted upon it when we felt the Holy Spirit. I bet at the end of the 30 days, we would each have a God story. Don't lose compassion. It is truly seeing people. It's the mercy and kindness of Christ that is in you. If you're walking with Jesus, you will feel his tug towards compassion for those around you. The third thing, though, I see in this story is the word test. Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then the very next verse says, Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Make no mistake, Jesus was going to feed those people that day. But he wanted to include his disciples in the work, and he wanted them to learn something. So he included them. He gave them a test, asked them a question that he knew they had no answer for. Philip comes back with, Jesus, eight months' wages, which we don't even have, would not buy enough bread for each one of these to have a bite. Philip tries to reason with Jesus. My son Matthew showed me some of his college calculus problems this week. He told me he was preparing for a test he was studying, and, and I looked at those problems. I would have failed that test with a zero. I mean, I don't know calculus at all. I couldn't understand any of it. But why are tests given? To see what we have learned. 
to see what we have listened to and studied and learned from the teacher and now can apply to a test in a series of problems. Well, we read here that Jesus gives tests. Jesus is a rabbi, and his disciples are the students. And they have been with him and listened to his many sermons and watched him do miracles. They have gone away in pairs now and have tried to, to do a little for themselves. What is, what is Jesus doing here? Well, he's teaching a class. He has 12 students, and he is making them into the men that who carry his message to the world when he is God. Jesus is a teacher. He's trying to raise up these guys and grow them in their faith and show them what he wants to do with them. And so tests are ways that they got to figure out how to learn to apply his teaching and promises to any given situation. Jesus is testing them. Even though Jesus has already decided that he's going to feed these people, before he does, he takes advantage of the opportunity to teach, to test and to grow his disciples. He presents them with a problem that is bigger than they have the resource for, feeding 5,000 people. What are they going to do? So here is another big question for you to think about today. If Jesus tested them long ago, do you think that he tests us? I do. Because we're his disciples now. And his goal is to grow us up and to prepare us and to make us into the men and women that he can use to bring his message and reveal his glory to the world. And so in our life, be prepared for tests, pop quizzes that will come when you least expect them. Tests to your marriage. Will you forgive that person? Will you love them still? Will you give them something, you know, more uh, tests in your family, in your work, in your finances, in your time? God doesn't tempt anyone, but our God most definitely comes and takes the circumstances in our lives and poses questions and challenges for us to learn, to apply the principles that we have learned from his word. Will we put our faith in him? Will we trust and obey him for the answer? Will we do what Jesus has commanded? How will you respond when this person does this? What will you do if the crops are destroyed? If this falls apart or that plant or that health concern? Here is the thing. Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do. Let that comfort you. But he just may be using this opportunity in your life to teach you, to grow you, because he cares about your maturity. He already has in mind how he's going to provide for this church or what he's going to do with this problem or how he's going to heal this nation or provide for your family or work out that situation with your family member. But he's testing you right now. He's letting you wrestle a bit because he loves you and he wants to give you something more than just that thing. Think back. Why did God make Abraham wait 20 years for a child after promising him one? Why did God have all the people wait on the shore of the Red Sea before parting it? Why did he tell them to go out each day and collect manna instead of give them a year's supply ahead of time? Why did they need to trust him each day? Why did Goliath even come? Why Babylon and the fiery furnace? Why did God wait 700 years before sending the Messiah? And then why put him out of Nazareth where nobody believed anything good could come from there? And why the storm at sea? You see, God is not interested in just giving you what you need but in growing you. He already knows what he's going to do, but he's wanting you to learn something in this. It is a test, which leads to my final point. Who passes the test in our story? And what is the lesson we learn here about Jesus? Well, as the disciples are trying to tell Jesus that it can't be done, this problem has no solution. Andrew finds a little boy. 
And it appears from all the scripture that the boy just steps forward with a solution. And this is interesting. The word translated boy is literally small boy. He was a child. And so it appears the other disciples don't give him much attention as he comes, but Andrew sees him. And so Andrew comes to Jesus with this kid and says, here is a small boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will it go to meeting such a need? And so in the original language, we would see that Andrew uses the word small here three times. A small boy, small loaves, small fish. How far will it go to meeting such a need? And so as they're all wrestling with this big problem, a solution walks forward that is so small and insignificant that only Andrew notices. And even he can't see how it'll work. But something inside of him still brings the boy to Jesus. Even though he can't see how Jesus is going to do it, he at least brings the boy to Jesus. Something inside of Andrew is like, well, maybe two fish and five loaves. I've seen Jesus turn water into wine. I've seen Jesus heal a man's son from over 19 miles away. I've seen Jesus give crippled man new legs and get up and walk after 38 years of sitting on a mat. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe that Jesus could possibly do something with a small boy who has only five small barley loaves and two small fish. Andrew, you see, looks at the problem through the eyes of faith. And barley was the poor man's bread. And so we're left to assume that this small child stepping forward was even poor, reinforcing in every earthly way that this small boy was the least of anyone present. Yet this is who God chooses. Because in our weakness, he is made known. In our faith, he accomplishes purposes. For the Lord has everybody sit down. And then he takes that small boy's gift and he gives thanks for it. He breaks the bread and he hands it out to those disciples to give to the people. And the disciples must have thought he was crazy. How embarrassed they must have been walking up to that first person in the crowd, literally with crumbs in their hand. How completely amazed they must have been when it says, as they gave to the people, it multiplied before them. And all the people ate as much as they wanted. And then at the end, Jesus said to his disciples, now gather the pieces, let nothing be wasted, and they returned with 12 baskets of leftovers. With Jesus, we don't just squeak by. Our cup runneth over. We come home with leftovers when we give what we have to Jesus. Here's the thing. Had there been a store nearby that had enough bread to meet the need, and had the disciples had enough money to buy that bread, they would have brought that bread handed it out to the people, and it would have been seen as a good deed. And the people would have said, thank you, and went on their way. And, and that would have been fine, but it would not have been in the Bible. It's in the Bible, in all four Gospels, because Jesus had in mind to do something so much more than what we could do. Jesus wasn't just interested in feeding the bellies that day, one meal. Jesus was interested in teaching his disciples something about faith, and also revealing to the crowd the truth of who he was, the Son of God. He would go on later in that chapter to teach them that he was the very bread of life, come down from God to give them eternal life, not just bread for today, but life for tomorrow. Jesus wanted them to see who he really was and, and the greater things that he would give to them. And this is something that I need to learn. It's that I often look for human solutions to problems, 
but of this I could rob my God of glory. For when faced with a problem too much for me, I could worry, I could say that it's, it's not even possible, I could not even try, or I could scramble to try to meet the need by myself, but what Jesus wants me to do is to trust him, to put my faith in him for what only he can do, and to give what I have to him and to watch him do the rest, because he is the answer to the problem. And these are the moments when God will truly shine. It was because it was a small boy with five small loaves and two small fish that caused the world to see the glory of God revealed in Christ that day. And so it was so ridiculous. That's what made it so spectacular. He is most seen in our weakness, not our strength, in our poverty, not our wealth, in our suffering, not our competence. Had King Saul taken down Goliath with a sword, there'd be no mention of it in the scriptures. But since it was a shepherd boy named David who stood up to a giant with a slingshot and nothing but faith, faith, everybody knows that story. Are we living in such a way that God gets the glory in our life? Or are we only doing that which makes sense and that which we can accomplish by ourselves? Or are we doing ministry in our church in such a way is to let God be seen. Maybe we are faced with a need too big for us. Good. That is just the test we need to grow beyond complacency to greater compassion and faith and hope in Christ. Maybe there's a problem so big we can't find the solution. Perfect. We need more of those in our life to bring us to our knees. For these are the times we can do nothing but trust in Jesus and give what we got, even if it's just small fish and loaves, and let us be like Andrew who sees by faith what others don't and says, well, maybe God can use this. Maybe Jesus could do something with this. Don't ever be discouraged. Don't ever be afraid. Don't ever give up hope. Jesus is with you. And Jesus, in just a little bit, is enough for a giant miracle. How else will a world see Jesus if we are never willing to face a problem too big for us or attempt a ministry greater than our resource? It's a test. Will we put our faith in him? Because he is the answer. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all Bethlehem Covenant Church's ministries and events, head to bccwaverly.org.